welcome to our ongoing series sponsored by Catholic Church Reform International. I'm your moderator, Rini Reed. Our guest today is Father Jerry Bouchard. He's been the pastor for the past 30 years of St. Simon and Jude in Westland, Michigan. He's one of the founding fathers of the Association of U.S. Catholic Priests and the founder of Elephants in the Living Room. Welcome, Father Jerry. Thank you. You have a philosophy about being a pastor. Share that with us. Well, it's a lot of parts to it. Underlying thing is, I believe, first of all, people are basically good. But what I try to do is as often as possible is if anybody asks for anything is to say yes. And if I say no, I will tell them why. At which point they have an opportunity to negotiate. When I first became pastor, and I wasn't expecting it to be at the time, uh, I made a three-part, in effect, declaration, statement of policy. So part one, I am pastor of this parish. Therefore, my job is different than yours. It is no more important. It is no less important. It is simply different. If you come to my church right now, uh, first of all, the church is a totally flat floor. No platforms, no ramps, no steps. And my chair is exactly the same as everybody else's, except it's a different color. So it's just, it's a statement in architecture in terms of what I said the first time. Second part, just I am pastor of this parish, and as such, I will have a lot to teach you. But I'm most definitely aware of the fact that you have a lot to teach me. And I was pastor for the first time. I knew I had a lot to learn, and I figured they would they would teach me what I needed. And I have learned a tremendous amount. Sometimes lessons in faith and everything else, because you can never judge ahead of time what's going to happen in a parish. Third, just because I am pastor of the parish doesn't mean I'm the only one who's going to have all the good ideas. So for God's sake, speak up. And we've been, I, I think, a lot richer because of that. If people are afraid to speak, um, then there's a problem. But the spirit, the mood of the parish is so, so relaxed, so open, that nobody that I know of has a difficult time approaching me about almost everything. One of the opportunities that happened probably within the last year. It was on a donut Sunday, and a little kid walked up to me, probably around nine years old, if that. And he had a little toy with him. And he handed it to me and he said, can you fix this? And I don't remember what the toy was. I seems I was able to fix it. But that a child would be comfortable enough to approach the priest and ask something like you would ask your dad and not have any qualms about doing that. That to me spoke a great deal about the nature of the parish and it was an opportunity that I, I treasure very, very much. Oh, that, that's beautiful. That this is the kind of mood we have, this is the kind of place mm -hmm. we have, so. Well, after 30 years, I understand you'll be retiring in June mm -hmm. and you have no idea or any say in who follows you as pastor. Correct. Are you worried about losing your legacy with the parish if a conservative priest is appointed? Uh, part of me is, but 
a woman approached me maybe a little over a month ago as we were leaving Mass on, you know, church on a Sunday. And she said, don't worry about your legacy. We cannot unlearn what you have taught us. Hmm. And another one came along and told me, we can run this place without you. And I'm confident they could. I mean, I've got a secretary and a bookkeeper. The business end of it is taken care of. And all the other stuff, they're already doing. In many, many ways, they're doing. I had a priest came in when I was on sabbatical. He said, I attended the parish council meetings, but I didn't have anything to do. They all knew the jobs and they just did them. So that's the attitude, that's the hope. And I find it crucial that a lot of priests right now, we need to be teaching our people what it's going to be like to be a parish without a priest, because that's going to become the reality. Absolutely. In fact, I'm wondering if you have any recommendation to parishioners who know they are going to be losing their pastor soon. Is there some way or something they can do to assume ownership and responsibility for their own community? Um, I had heard a long time ago, and I've been told them that way too, my parishioners. Thomas Aquinas said, if you find somebody who disagrees with you, you walk over to their side. You take them by the hand and you walk them over to yours. So I suggested that if they get somebody who's kind of overwhelmed or whatever, walk over there to him, take him by the hand, talk to him, you know, and lead him over to where he needs to be. It, sh it shouldn't be confrontational. It should be pastoral. And it may very well be that the people will have to be pastor to the pastor for a while. But how do the people figure out what to do people are still so ingrained with waiting for father to tell them what to do we've got to come into a new era of the church where the people take the assume the leadership and don't wait to be told mm -hmm. how do we instill that in people in many ways you won't do it until you have to do it you know it's easier when the priest is there i've, I've told them too i said the next step of your evolution cannot happen so long as i'm here because they know that I'm going to back them. They know the direction it's going to be. But for them to forge their own, it's like if you're a passenger in a car, you don't pay attention to the directions. The driver does. So if you have to drive back, there's a good chance you're going to miss a turn or two. Well, when it comes to their opportunity, when it comes necessity for them to do it, I think they're going to step up to it. Let's move on to another phase of your life, going back to when you co-founded the Association of, of U.S. Catholic Priests. What was your impetus for doing that? It was a number of things going on. There was a survey that had gone out um, about the new missile. It was a campaign and it said, why don't we just wait? And so I signed a petition for that then I was involved in the American Catholic Council. So those two things kind of put me on a list and we got um, recruited by Father Bernie Servo. On to their purposes, he's an apostle. He's driven around a lot, went to a lot of different places, did one-on-one -on -one meetings with a lot of priests. I met with him and a few other, two or three other priests in Detroit and he convinced us to try to, to look into this American Catholic the Association of Catholic Priests. So 
we wound up going to uh, on a retreat. At least that's how it was advertised. It was a retreat on the Second Vatican Council, and it was at Mundelein Seminary. After that meeting, we we thanked the Cardinal for having the use of his facility, but he didn't know they had become the, the hatching ground for a new organization. Why, why do this and why do any of these organizations? There's a sense of what the church can be, what it needs to be, and what it is not. So, ironically, I think the liberal part of the church, in some way, that's, its root is more conservative than the conservative root. We have a sense of what the church can be and needs to be, and that's what we're shooting for. So what is your mission exactly? What what do you all try to do? To right the wrongs when we see them, to help organize organize things that need to be need to be more involved. We, we did put out two white papers last year. Um, one was on the status of women in the church, not the role of women in the church, because they haven't got much of a role, but the status of women in the church and the other one on clericalism. There's another subcommittee working on seminary formation. A number of different issues that arise, that priests see that there's a need, they bring those up and we try working toward those. It might take different formats, it might take different plans. It turns out these, these those two issues took the form of a white paper. Now, those white papers, at least on the one on um, Clericalism has been adopted by a number of different organizations. They seem to be pretty, pretty valuable. So if you all try to right the wrongs, does the association ever challenge the bishops? I think by our existence, we do. It's not that we go after them. We might invite them. We might communicate with them. We have a bishop moderator. So there's not that we're just associated. We've had a number of bishops come and speak with us. This coming year, we have the the nuncio from the Vatican who's going to come and uh, be the homilist for their liturgy. So it's not that we're trying to be separated from them, but just let them know there's another possibility. And it seems ironic we've got a top-down organization, but even in a top-down organization, people will not do anything unless they have permission from below. In other words, a priest won't do something unless he feels he's got the backing of his parish. And a bishop won't do anything unless he feels he has the backing of his priests. And I think that works all the way up. You know, in the most recent conference of the U.S. Catholic bishops, they um, issued a document that they called Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship. But when you read it, it's rather self-evident. They aren't really interested in forming consciences. Abortion continues to remain the preeminent priority in their thinking and in their teaching. And so the document is really about telling people how to preserve abortion by helping guide them how to vote, if not telling them how to vote. Exactly, yeah. I was shocked at the title. They know what they need to do. They don't have the will to do it yet. Um, we have to be preparing a church 
with almost no clergy. Just in Detroit, um, they're studying another capital campaign, another of a long line of capital campaigns. Problem is, we have now in this diocese 70, 70 priests who are serving currently as active pastors and actively serving in the, in the, in the diocese who are past retirement age. So they can step down at any time. And they may very well. You know, at this spring, well, this summer, um, July 1st is a big migration date. It's going to be interesting to see how many of these guys step down. But if you lost 70 priests or even something near that, you can take almost a third of the active priests out of this diocese. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, our job needs to be prepare the people to be church without waiting for permission from the clergy. Yeah, part of me thinks that maybe the association's job is helping form the consciences of the bishops. And the other part of me thinks it's about guiding the people how to take mm -hmm. on a leadership role in their own church. If they're going to preserve it, it's up to them. We're priests. We're the middle children. You know, the youngest ones would be the laity and the older ones would be the, pre the, the bishops. Now, it takes somebody strong to not pass down the sins that have come down from you from above or to pass them up if they come to you from below. We are the middle children and we are in effect the, the firewall that keeps the bad habits from going in either direction. But the middle children are going to try to guide and affect both ends. <laughs> that really is your role. Well, let's talk about another organization that you started. I love the title, Elephants in the Living Room. How did that come about and what is it about? <laughs> in the Archdiocese a number of years ago, quite a few years ago, um, Cardinal Shaka, or Archbishop Shaka at the time, had a large meeting of priests, called them in and said, this whole issue of general absolution has to stop. And the priests did not take that well. We take it from the, from the pastoral perspective. We're boots on the ground. We deal with people all the time and we see them up in terms of their lives and whatever. We knew that's a very valuable pastoral tool. So when they tried to push that legislation, a group of priests got together and started bringing in outside speakers First of all, addressing that, that, same, that issue first thing, but then they brought in about a half dozen. They brought in priests and with free will offerings. They brought in some very good speakers. That was just priests and it kind of died down. But the impact was good. So we were at a meeting up, up north. With, uh, we go up every other year. And during a break, a priest came up to me and he said, we're not talking about the elephants. Nobody's mentioning the important things. And now we're a few hundred miles away from home. You can't go home at night. Um, and you travel quite a bit to hear things is just more the same. I told him, I said, you're exactly right. You need to say something. And his response was, I'm not doing it. So since he didn't, I did. And it turns out that the scripture, first scripture from the Sunday, the previous Sunday was Genesis. So I used that, well, I'm ahead of myself, forgive me. Um, I made that announcement that nobody's talking about the elephants. 
I got immediately landed on by three priests who had put this thing together. And they said, we're going to talk about it. It's fine. We're going to bring it up. It's on the agenda. Well, they had given us an agenda, and it was not on the agenda. And I knew there was no way that they had it in them to do it. But no response. No, it was all I heard three guys in one direction. The next morning, before I could get in line for breakfast, I got landed on by another three priests. They said, what elephants? What are you going to do about this? I didn't know there was any response, so I said, I'll tell you what. We'll wait to see what happens in the morning. If they don't turn it around, I'll make an announcement. We'll meet after lunch. So I went and used the scripture from this, the previous Sunday, which all the priests were familiar with. They had to, you know, to deal with it. Uh, Genesis, which says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. Let us find a suitable partner for the man. So the Lord God brought before the man all the animals he had created to see what he would name them. The name that he would give them would be his name. He said, gentlemen, it's time to start naming elephants. <laughs> I said, if you're interested, I'll meet you at the steps after lunch. A dozen guys showed up. And we talked for two hours. You know, when you've got a free section of the day, you can be doing other things. Two hours. And after that, they said, this is good, not enough. We've got to do some more. So we had put together a time and a place and kept meeting and bringing in some good speakers in the same spirit as the other group that had happened. The other group, interestingly enough, side, sidebar, um, when Cardinal Shoko, when Archbishop Shoko found out that they were meeting and they were doing his training and stuff, he was a little bit put out. And so he referred to them as those cockroaches. And they took the name. They took the name cockroaches. We wanted with the name elephants because of that one phrase, the elephant in the living room. But since then, we've had five or six speakers on average a year from all over. One from Ireland, Tony Flannery. One from Austria, Helma Schuler. One from oh, Australia, you. Jeffrey Robinson. You've and got some of the best. We've got, we got some very, very good things. But we also have a secret weapon. I mean, talk about your, your consummate arm twister. We have Tom Gumbleton. If Tom Gumbleton invites you, Bishop Tom Gumbleton, nobody's going to turn him down. He knows all but six people in the entire Catholic Church, and they would do whatever it takes to get to him, you know, to do what they can for him. So we even managed to get Joan Chittister, um, uh, Charles Curran, um, you know, we've got some very, very big names, even Richard McBrien. We've gotten some people, famous theologians, and then they had since passed away. Michael Crosby. Um, and right now, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I live 10 miles, um, five miles north of the airport, 10 minutes away. So when the speaker comes into town, I get to go pick them up. I get one-on-one -on -one time with these people and so I get a chance to know them. They get a chance to know me and some wonderful conversations. So but, now is this, is this organization just for priests or do you include laity? Early, early on, we had the first talk came in was uh, Michael Himes, I believe. And he was really good. And at that point, a hundred priests showed up. And it's been hard to get a hundred priests to show up for anything 
that wasn't mandated by the archdiocese. But as soon as he finished, he said, we said, this is too good for priests alone. We have to open this up. So from almost the very beginning, we opened up the laity. Right now we got about 240 priests and about 1,800 people total, which makes us larger than a lot of national groups. But we, we felt the idea of education is important for everybody. And it, for the longest time, the bishops have monopolized, monopolized, um, monopolized the education. They've monopolized inside and out. So they, um, they have the canon law and all these other rules and regulations and stuff. But I felt if we know as much or more than the bishops do, they can't lie to us. They can't invent something. We will have already known from nationally known experts that this works and this doesn't work. This is valid and this is not valid. So the only tool we have, the one tool I have as a pastor for educating my parish, the basic tool we use for the elephants or anything else is education. And as you educate the membership, does it carry out into the world, into parishes? Does it go beyond the membership? I can only go from my parish, but I believe it does. I believe it does. And there's a lot of priests who are also elephants. So if their parishioners show up, they, they wind up on the same wavelength. So I have to believe it does have some impact. Good. And at one point, uh, the Archbishop was hesitant about bringing in a speaker. He didn't want us to bring in, he didn't like the idea of what we were doing. So he went to the Presbyteral Council and he said, we have to make it a policy that no speaker can speak in the Archdiocese unless priorly, priorly approved from the Arch, by the Archdiocese. And when he tried to pass that Presbyteral Council, it turned out he couldn't pass it because there were too many elephants on the Presbyteral Council. Too many members of the elephants were already there. Um, at least, well, we've got Bishop Gullington. There's at least one other one who was an elephant before he was made a bishop. So, and though, though they have to obtain, you know, maintain a party line, there's some sympathy in there too. You you mentioned Joan Chittister. She is our special advisor for our organization. Oh, very cool. Okay. But. I know that many bishops around the world hear that her name comes up and they ban her from being able to be included in the in the speaker list. They don't want to have her voice. She said nothing wrong. She's brilliant. She's wonderful. She speaks to the health and the goodness of the church. But bishops find educated laity or even our educated religious as a threat. So, and educated women, particularly. Oh, very much so. Very much so. But the reality is, we're dealing with the church without priests, and like it or not, the women are there. You're gonna, we're gonna have to utilize them. So the issues that that elephants take on are women, the status of women. What else? LGBT issues, shortage of priests. Um, where the churches, like for example, in the Middle East or other places, um, there's a lot of elephants they are not running out, and there's still some issues we need to talk about even more. Um, we talked about Ladatosi, the, the 
care of the environment, whatever, the issue that the bishops passed up in favor of abortion. So we've had about three or four speakers of that. The church and the poor. Um, we brought Simone Campbell in for that. We're hoping to get her in in the beginning of this coming year because she has a finger in the pulse of what's going on politically in Washington. Um, uh, the church in terms of LGBT issues and things like that, uh, we've had a, a couple of times. Um, the abuse crisis, crisis uh, the abuse and things like that, we brought in Barbara Blaine from SNAP. And she has since passed away, which was a shock because she was entirely too young. So, um, so uh, there's a bunch of issues and things that we still need to talk about. My concern is heavily in terms of the shortage of priests. It's hitting me personally, the idea of what's going to happen to my parish after I'm gone. And what are they bringing in? And will they bring somebody in? But this parish, I think, is sound enough right now, well-grounded well enough, that all of they needed would really be weekend help. If you have provided sacraments for weekend help, the parish can largely run itself, which would unnerve the heck out of an archbishop, but that's, that's where it's at. But I think that is inevitably the future of the church, and we need to prepare the people in the parish for priestless church. They've yeah. got to take on more responsibility, but I worry about that phase of it. I call them often pew potatoes, not couch potatoes. There are too many parishioners are still comfortable showing up at Mass on Sunday and waiting for Father to give a nice homily and tell them what they can do or not do. We've I, got I to am, change that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a hard thing because you see it from the perspective of the pastor. I can go pew by pew around the church and I can tell you what load these people are carrying. You know, here's a woman carrying, taking care of a sick husband, a vet who's not been on his feet now in a very, very long time. She's not available to do a lot of things she'd like to do. Others are very, very elderly and their spouses at one time or another or themselves are sick. Even some of them are still very, very active. I had a complaint one time because my people tend to, our default setting in the church is party mode. They will talk and visit with each other at the drop of whatever, okay? And this woman came in to visit her and she said, there's these women who are talking behind me, you should make them stop. I said, they're ministering to each other. Well, I don't think it's right. I came to pray and that, that's not right. I said, I know where you were sitting because she was a rare new face. I said, one of the women that was back there is, is battling cancer. Two of them are widows, fresh widows. And the third, and one of the, one of the three um, lost a grandson to suicide after her husband died. They need to talk to each other. They need to be there for each other. They need to visit and help. They are ministering to each other. I tell them, mass starts in a parking lot. And it ends in a parking lot. And they corrected me. They said, no, it ends at the Coney Island after mass. <laughs> As we bring this discussion to a close, can you offer any words of wisdom for how we can really bring about the needed renewal in our church? We know 
It is not going to come from the top down. We know even Pope Francis, with all his goodness, is waiting for the bishops to go to the people, the people to tell them what they need and want, and the bishops would come running to the Pope and ask for it, and he would grant that to them. It's not working that way. It's not going to happen that way. Unless we get the people proactive, nothing's going to change. What can they do? What can we guide them to do? I think maybe more than anything else, remind them how powerful they are. I've got a wonderful parish, but it would be nothing without the people there. And, you know, just the people that show up in the pews, and absolutely nothing could get done without what the people themselves are doing. And I tell them, it's not my question of, you know, giving you permission or telling you what to do. I tell them up front, 90% of my job is to get out of your way. They already know what needs to be done. They know what they want in their parish. They know what they want in the church. The pastors, give them the tools. Then get out of their way. Assist them as much as you can, facilitate, and if at all possible, work with them. Be among them. Be and do the things they do. Come to understand the reason they don't do certain things. Understand the loads that they carry. You know, you've got, you've got couples sometimes that could be really good in the, working in a church. They're busy raising grandchildren. Father Jerry Bouchard, you are the kind of pastor every parish should be fortunate enough to have. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm deeply honored, I'm deeply honored for you having asked me. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. <laughs>